0: Thank you so much. It's so good to be with you. And I do want to bring you greetings from Craig and Travis and Corey. They're all in Kiev, in the Ukraine, visiting with Transformation Church, which is celebrating their anniversary. So I'm sure he's going to give us all an update about that next week when he's back. And I want to just start with a little disclaimer. You have most likely heard at some point in one message or so that I am a runner and always serves for a good sermon illustration somehow. And you may or may not know this about running, that when people run, let's say, marathons, the two weeks prior to a marathon, they usually do what you call taper. That means you run less so that your body rests, and it means you eat more carbs so that you are full of energy when you get to that race day. And everybody looks forward to taper time because you really need that break, and you need that extra nutrition. And yet, I have found in many, many, many races that I have run that, that last week, those last few days before the race get really tough because I am bursting and I wanna get to that starting line and I am just full of excitement and anxiety. It's kind of a funny mixer. And so I had to think back and I felt like this week felt like one long taper leading up to today. I've been waking up in the morning with this message of grace on my mind and on my heart, and it's been kind of all-consuming, and I couldn't have waited another day to share this with you. So I feel so honored and and blessed to be able to talk to you by grace. I couldn't think of another topic I would rather talk to you about. But before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you for all that we've already experienced this morning. And we pray simply that you give us the grace to understand grace. Father, I do pray that I would get out of the way so the Holy Spirit would use my, my voice and, and what you've put on my heart to, um, just to, to share about grace. And Father, I pray that we would all have open hearts, open ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. We love you, and may this bring glory to your name. Amen. Thank you. In 2006, I had the opportunity to travel to Dubai to attend a women's conference. Anne Graham Lotz was the main speaker at that conference, and it was a fabulous week. She was so amazing. And then at the end of our time, of course, when you travel all the way to Dubai, we lived in Germany at the time, you want to add a couple of days to do some exploring and sightseeing. So we did, and we did all the touristy things that you could crumb into three days. We did an open-top bus tour. We did a jeep tour through the desert. We did some sandboarding in the desert. If you ever consider doing that, don't do it. It's really hot when you fall into the sand. It, it's not fun. But then on the last day, we went snorkeling. Now, most of you know that I've grown up in Germany, it's in Europe. So the places that I had visited up until that point were places like Switzerland, Austria, France, the UK, Denmark, Italy, great places, and they all have one thing in common. The water is very cold, (laughs) it's usually a little bit darker, and you can't really see what's in it, if there even is anything in it, who knows. But so that day in Dubai, as I put my head in the water, and as I started to look around, It was amazing. It was breathtaking. It was like this new world opened up I didn't even know existed. The colors, the fish, the corals, the vibrancy. I was stunned. It really felt like a new world opened up I didn't even know was there. I believe, I know it's a big statement, I believe that it's like that with grace. The moment we have a real grace encounter with God, it's like a new world opens up and we didn't even know it was there. I'm always intrigued how we can sometimes go on, day in, day out, year in, year out, and we do the same things over and over, experience them a certain way, and then all of a sudden we look at that same thing kind of with new, different eyes. I want to explain to you what I mean. When Craig and I first met, he was what I call an occasional coffee drinker. Now, he'd only ever had instant coffee, And then I came along and I introduced him to the good stuff, like strong German coffee, like Starbucks-type coffee. And his life has never been the same since. (laughs) Of course, every coffee drinker says amen. (laughs) And I was thinking back, in my grace, in in my journey, in my faith journey, I'd been a believer for over 30 years. I had heard countless messages on grace. I had sung songs, just like this morning, about grace, probably most Sundays in all those years. But only in recent years, in the last few years, has grace really captured my heart like never before. I didn't even know it was like that. It was like a new world opened up to me. When I hear the word grace now, my heart beats a little bit faster. People that do life with me and know me well, they know that I'm on this grace journey. I'm very open about it. And like this year for my birthday, I got several grace gifts. One person gave me a bracelet that said grace. Another person gave me a devotional journey journal about grace. Another person gave me some scripture card all about grace. So this has become a huge part of my journey. And my prayer is for each one of us that we would be awakened to that gift that God wants to give each one of us called grace i want to share three points with us this morning about grace. The first one is this. Grace is a person and it's Jesus. Many, many books have been written about grace. I think we all know that. And biblical scholars have debated, expounded grace literally for, century, for centuries. I have read a number of books too in preparations for this message on grace. And they've been exciting, they've been great, they've been challenging. But I'm convinced more than ever before and that, that the best way to really, truly understand grace is when we experience it in our own lives. If you are a parent of teenagers, at one point you may want to explain to them what it is like to fall in love. Now, well, there's different ways of doing that. You can tell them what happens in the brain when somebody falls in love. You can tell them what happens in the body when somebody falls in love hormonal, hormones. So good luck with that conversation. Those are always fun. (laughs) But of course, we all know the best way that our teens understand what it is to fall in love is for them to actually fall in love and have the experience. And I think it's the same way with grace. We best understand grace when we experience it. Now, I'm looking at people, and I know many of you pretty well, and I know many of you have grace stories, and you know what it is like to experience grace. And I have learned in my walk, in my grace walk, about God's grace through your stories. And, and it's, that's amazing. I think that's one reason why we like the red chair stories. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them are grace stories. And we can see it. So sometimes we see that progression where a person finds forgiveness and then they find acceptance and even adoption by God through his grace and his love. Sometimes we see that prog- progression a person who is hopeless through God's grace and mercy, finding new hope, grace. Did you know that the Bible talks over 200 times about grace? I think it's 206 times. The Apostle Paul talks over 100 times about grace, and yet Jesus never talks about grace. That's interesting. And yet, it's so obvious from what John tells us that Jesus is the expression of grace. Jesus is grace. John says this in John 1:14. The Word became flesh, the Word is Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory is of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word full here means abounding. It means covered. It means filled, and it means mature. Gary Birch, he is a professor at Calvin College, and he often teaches at TLC in Grand Rapids. He actually wrote a commentary on John, and in it, he has a whole passage on grace, and I want to read you something, because it's really good. Gary Birch says this. It's curious that the word grace, so common in the rest of the New Testament, is virtually unused by John, and appears only here in the prologue, that's four times, and then it disappears. John likely has in mind the generous work of God in sending his son, which results in our salvation. Grace is found in God's coming and working despite the hostility and rejection of the world. Grace is not merely an attribute of God. It's known when someone enjoys his goodness. It's the recipient who knows grace, not the theologian who has studied it. So the point here is when people met Jesus, they experienced grace in its fullest form. So I wonder if you can think of any of the Jesus encounters that you know from the New Testament where his life just shows us the grace that we just talked about. I was thinking of four, but of course there are so many more because Jesus is grace. The first one I was thinking of is the encounter he has with a leper, when of course we all know The lepers were isolated. They were alone. They were lonely. Nobody would touch them. And I love here how Jesus touches the leper before he heals him and shows his acceptance and his love and his grace. What about the woman who was caught in adultery? We read earlier in John that that Jesus is grace and truth. So he knows who she is. She was literally caught in the act. But... He knows about her sin, he knows what she's done, and yet his grace offers a way out. And then what about the person who dies next to Jesus on the cross? Literally in his last hour, in his dying moment, all he can do is reach out to Jesus and he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What does Jesus say? Amen, I say to you today, you will be with me in, in paradise. If that is not grace, I don't know what else is. And then one of my favorite grace encounters that Jesus tells us about is in Luke 15. And many of you know the story. It's the story of the lost son. And I want to just tell it briefly because we're going to come back to it later. So we know that a father had two sons and the younger one says to him, give me my inheritance. And this was before the father was even dead. So he takes the money, he goes off and he wastes all this money and he lives a reckless life. He comes to his senses, he hits rock bottom, and I have learned, especially through recovery ministry, that that is sometimes a really good place to be when we hit rock bottom, because that could be a turning point for, for many. So he hits rock bottom, and he remembers his father, and he thinks to himself, maybe if I go back, and maybe if I just work for my father, then I wouldn't starve to death here. So he's on his way to the father, And to his huge surprise, while he's on his way, the father sees him and he runs to him. He embraces him and he even throws him a party. Grace. One definition puts it like this. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Another definition puts it like this. Grace is this beautiful gift that God offers to people who've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. So if you want to understand grace from the inside out, you have to understand it with your heart. And to understand grace is to know Jesus, because Jesus is grace and truth. Let's look at the second point, which is this grace brings salvation. So once you've encountered Jesus, you've encountered grace, and that grace brings salvation. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from ourselves, it's a gift from God. I want you to hold on to that little part of this scripture, of this verse that says this, it's not from ourselves. Memorial Day today, and of course, we remember the deaths of many men and women who've given their lives so we all can enjoy freedom that we do. I liked how we've seen that in the video, that many of them really didn't even experience life as as it was ahead of them, because they died when they were young. We are grateful for what they did, aren't we? And we know that we did nothing to earn it or deserve it. They chose to do this for us, for our freedom. Let's go back to Paul. Paul talks about grace so much because it is so important for us to grasp. And proof of how important grace is to Paul is in a phrase that he uses in Ephesians 2, verse 7. Earlier on, we heard verse 8, but this is verse 7, where he talks about the surpassing riches of God's grace. And that, of course, repeats and even expounds that Riches of Grace message that he started off in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, the 7. And I want to encourage you this afternoon, maybe, or tomorrow, to read Ephesians 1 and 2. It is so good. So let me ask you, why was grace so rich to Paul? Why did he talk about grace so much? Of course, if you know anything about his life, anything about his own experience, his encounters, we know that how he lived. In the early years of the church, Paul didn't just oppose the message of Christ. He persecuted the church. He killed believers. That was his mission. Until one day, on the road to Damascus, he experienced, he encountered the living Lord Jesus Christ. He experienced not just grace, but rich grace that saved him, quite apart from anything that he had done. So again, grace is an encounter, it's an experience, it's Jesus. Max Lucado shares that he became a believer around the same time that he became a Boy Scout. And somehow he was under the assumption that God grades us on a merit system. In his book, Grace, he shares that he was determined to get as many spiritual badges as he possibly could. How could he earn those, or what was in his mind for that? You know, reading the Bible was one, praying was one, going to church was one, maybe giving money was one, all these badges. But then one day, he just asked himself that question, so if God saves good people, how good is good? And if God saves good people, How good is good enough? That's a good question. So he was so troubled by it that he went to see a minister. Good place to go to, I guess. And here this is what he was told. Do, do better, do more, do now, do good and you will be okay. Do more and you will be saved. Max Locator says that he believes that most people actually believe that. God saves good people. So if this is true, then that means most of us in here believe that. God saves good people. Most of us online believe that. God saves good people. So church, if that is true, then be good, be moral, be honest, be decent, stay sober, pay your taxes, and work your way to heaven. But We still have the same question, how good is good? How good is good enough? Max Lucado has a statement that I think is a little provocative maybe, but it's so true. It says this, at stake is our eternal destination, heaven or hell, yet we're more confident about lasagna recipes than the entrance requirements for heaven. Let's read it again, (laughs) it's good. (gasps) Ouch. (laughs) At stake is our eternal destination, yet we're more confident about lasagna recipes than the entrance requirements for heaven. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, salvation does not come from ourselves. So what does God think of our own efforts and our good deeds? You know, the Bible does talk about our good deeds, and it does say that there is, that God values them. In fact, Ephesians 2 actually talks about it, and that is not a contradiction to what we heard in Ephesians 2, verse 8. But our good deeds... Even the believer's judgment, according to what we've done in this life, is not for salvation. It happens after salvation. And that is a big difference. And a lot of people actually reverse it. And they think that they can or they must earn their way to heaven. It's a big, big difference. And you know, we're not the first generation to to think about this or to ask that question. This whole doing good and working hard. This is as old as humanity is old. We read about it right at the beginning of of humanity in in Genesis, and I want to read a passage here. Genesis 11 verses one through nine. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastwards, they found a plain in China and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and a tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You know, I think if we're honest, we can understand the people at China. They wanted to make something of themselves. They wanted to make something of their lives. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to show how capable they were. And surely even God would be impressed with them. At the core of that kind of mindset is that understanding that we can earn our way to heaven. It's a mindset that actually says we don't need God. So what did God think about that mindset? We read that God came down and he scattered them over the whole earth. He confused their language. That's why I have an accent. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Confused their language. You know, he didn't even destroy the tower, didn't need to, just scattered them. And you know, before we judge them too harshly or look down at them, can we just be honest and say, we live in the same kind of world? where people want to make a name for themselves, where they want to achieve great things, that they want to be something and want to be impressive and want to earn their way to heaven. This is not a new thing. And you know, for a lot of people, it seems like not something they want to hear, that all they can bring to God is themselves. As I was thinking about this whole Babel story, I was thinking about a couple um, in, in my family. I think most families have someone that everybody kind of looks up to, holds in high esteem, maybe talks about when they, when they, when they, when they talk about somebody that they really esteem highly. So in my family, it was Uncle Walter and Tante Hertha. <laughs> so I want to tell you their story quickly. My, it was actually my great-uncle Walter. My dad's uncle, he immigrated to the States when he was only 20 years old. This was in 1927. And he lived, literally, the American dream because he started off with nothing. He was washing dishes to get by. He married Hertha, she was a fellow German, and they moved to Chicago where they started a photography business. They did really well and they loved skiing, and so eventually they moved to Aspen, Colorado. And eventually, they got into real estate and became millionaires. They had a beautiful home overlooking all the mountains in Aspen, and this is where they stayed until they died. They never were able to have children, but I remember, and this is what was always talked about them, they were very intelligent, they were smart, they were kind, they had a very good marriage, they loved people, they had a great interest in people, they inspired a lot of people, They skied every day in winter in their 80s. At one point, a documentary was made about that. And so they lived until their mid-90s, probably because of all the skiing and fitness. And when they died, millions went to charity. Pretty good, right? So my family always talked about Hertha and Walter. So here's the sad thing, at least for me. Here's the heartbreaking thing in my late teens and in my 20s i visited them a number of times in aspen and we had many many spiritual conversations they loved those conversations and i was a new believer i got to share my faith in jesus with them i got to share with them about the gospel about god's path for salvation and here's the heartbreaking thing for me the sad thing they were not open to that message at all Because what would that have meant to them? All that they had built, all that they had made, the name that they had made for themselves, the things that they were so proud of, that would have really meant nothing before Holy God. It would have just been Jesus, and it seemed like too much to give up for them. Now I want to make one thing really, really clear. None of us have the right to judge another person or to say where they are going to be eternally. That is not for us to judge. In fact, we just heard about the guy who died next to Jesus on the cross, who received salvation in his dying moment. This is not for us to do. That's God's job. The reason for me to share that is just to say that when I shared the gospel with them, all that they had built for themselves were the reasons that they were not open to the gospel. How good is good enough? Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this, All of us, all of us, have become like one who's unclean, and all our righteous acts, what could they be? Building towers, making a name for ourselves, giving millions to charities, are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So if we see that our own efforts, our own deeds do not save us, what does? The grace of God, the gift of God through Jesus Christ. We cannot bridge that gap between us and a holy God because of sin. But God made provision. It's a provision of grace. And his name is Jesus, who is the one who never sinned, and because of that could bridge that gap. So, Jesus, the sinless one, he did, he can, and he does. And I was just thinking as we read the story of the lost son on his way back to the father. It's interesting, but he is actually already making plans for what he's going to say to the father, for what he's going to offer him, for how he's going to make it better and make it right. And yet, I love the fact, first of all, that he's broken, that he knows who he is, that he knows that he's made a mess of himself. That's a good place to be in for all of us. But yet, even in that brokenness, there was a part of him that that thought, if my father accepts me, I will do better, I will do more, I will do good, I will be, I will do, just like we heard Locato say. But remember, the father is already running to him. The father's already embracing him and loving him. He didn't need to do that, nor could he do it. That was an illusion that he thought he could. And you know, in this encounter and in this embrace with the father, we don't hear how the father says, you've messed up, let's talk about what you've done. He doesn't say it, nor does he say, okay, this is how you're going to live from now on. He doesn't even need to. He embraces him in grace, in love, in forgiveness and acceptance. That's good news. And that's there for us. God's running towards us. Will you accept that? And then the third point is this. Grace fuels transformation. So, so far, we have heard that grace is a person, and it's Jesus. To best understand grace is to know Jesus, to encounter Jesus personally. And then grace brings salvation. Salvation is not from our own doing. As much as we may want to do it, as much as we may think we have to do it ourselves. Salvation is a gift from God. And I'm praying and I'm hoping that this is a relief for many who've been striving and who've been living by fear and by failure and by uncertainty. We can be sure because God did it. God paid the price. But it's almost like there is even more. I'm feeling like a salesperson, but I am telling you about a great, great gift. And that is this, that there is transformation through grace. The miracle of the Bible is that God does not only save us by his grace, he also transforms us by his grace into the likeness of his son. We don't have to stay where we're at. This is grace for this life, to live differently, to be transformed, to change. Through CR, I have learned um, or discovered in my own life, but also through this one recovery with me that when we start doing that work on what we call our underlying issues, we often discover kind of a core issue that was there all along that has maybe driven us to some unhealthy behaviors or habits that we have that we struggle with. And sometimes when people start their recovery journey, they come into a program, I hear them say things like this, I feel like I'm not good enough, especially women say that a lot. Or, I feel like I don't really matter. Or, if people really knew me, they couldn't possibly love and accept me for who I truly am. So this is what I've discovered in this, in this grace for transformation, is that the antidote to all of those things that we're struggling with is grace. What's an antidote? So antidote is a medication that it's given to counteract a certain poison in the body. Of course, we think about it when we think of a snake bite. If you're bitten by a snake, you better get an antidote as quick as you can so that you are not die of that poison. And you know, in the same way, for the poisonous things that we're struggling with, often the antidote for it is grace. I'm gonna give you an example from my own life and from my own journey. I struggle with perfectionism. And you may think, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. You get things done. (laughs) So this is what I've learned, though, in, in this struggle, because it is a struggle. It's underneath it, at the core of it, is actually that belief that I'm not good enough, I'm not acceptable, I'm not lovable just for who I am. I have to always strive, I always have to do more, I have to do better. And can I just say, it's not a fun place to be, and it's not a fun way to live life. The do, do, do. So what does that mean for me when I discover the antidote of grace? It means for me, I can come to the throne of grace. I can come to my heavenly father and I hear him say this to me. My beloved daughter, he always addresses us like this. My beloved daughter, you are right. You are not good enough. I agree with you. But this is how loved you are, the cross. My son died for you. This is how accepted you are through Jesus. And you're striving to do better. You don't have to do this anymore because Christ in you, he's going to bring that that life to completion that he has started. And the Holy Spirit is the one doing it for you. That's good news. And what is the result for me? There's freedom, there's joy, there's peace. That's good news for me. What about a person who comes and says, I struggle with guilt and shame because of what I've done. I've made a mess of my life. It's a real mess. Remember that Jesus, that God is grace and truth. He knows the truth. And so he will agree with us, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, you're right, you've made a mess of yourself. This is too much for you to carry. This is real guilt, this is real shame that you are struggling with and carrying. But here is the good news. My son Jesus died for you. The Bible tells us that Jesus bore our sin and he bore our shame. So we don't have to carry it anymore. So let go of it. Let him carry it. Put it on him. He's done it. It's done. So what does that do for a person that experienced that? It gives them freedom. It's a relief. They have a new beginning. They can live lighter. They don't have to carry that stuff anymore. This is good news, friends, right? Right? And you know, I don't know what you struggle with or carry. It might be big, it might be small, might be insignificant to others, but it's not for us. Maybe the antidote for you as well would be grace. And I'm convinced that people listening to this in here or online, that there are some of them that can identify with that younger son, with that lost son who's made a mess, who has messed up maybe thrown away things, thrown away relationships, trust of loved ones, opportunities, wasted years. Let me remind you, your heavenly Father is running towards you. You don't have to clean up first. You don't have to make any promises because you don't need to, nor can you keep them, nor should you. He is running towards you, waiting to embrace you, waiting to, to throw you a party. That's good news. And we haven't talked much about what happens after because honestly, I don't think we need to. When we truly understand the richness of God's grace, it is not cheap, cheap grace. It's very pricey. It's very expensive. It costs God his son, not cheap grace. When we experience that, we don't want to go back and feed the pigs. We want to stay as close to our Heavenly Father as we possibly can. And we want to be known to be his child. So we don't even have to talk about change in behavior so much. But you know, as much as I think there are people that can really identify with that younger son, I think there are also people here that identify a lot more with the older brother. We haven't even talked about him yet. Who is he? Now, he was the good guy. He stayed with his father. He did what was expected or what he thinks was expected. And he did good. But then when his brother returned, And his father throws him a party, he is angry, he's resentful. He doesn't think that he should have that party or deserves it. What about me? What about all that I have done? Do you not see me? So these older brothers, they come in all shapes and sizes, and they get angry for different reasons. Some of them, yes, they have lived very moral and upright lives, believing that their standard is the right standard for the family. And they get angry when people put shame on the family, when they don't live up to that standard. You know, it's okay to get angry at sin, but it is older brother behavior when we just get angry because somebody doesn't live up to our standard. Ouch. And some of those older brothers, maybe they've been hurt themselves and victim of wrong, and they have a high sense of justice, and they have a huge heart for victims. And when they hear that somebody, somebody's behavior has hurt others, they're really quick to cry for justice, and they're kind of slow to show mercy. Again, it's okay to be angry at hurt that's been done to others, but getting angry and and not um, giving room for the repentant person to return, that's older brother behavior. And if we lived according to this, if the early church would have lived according to this, then Paul would have never been accepted. Praise God that they didn't. So older brothers come in all shapes and sizes, and the universal antidote for them as well is grace. And I think the tragedy for many of them is that they have actually never really embraced their identity, who they are, and whose they are. They have the same father as the younger son, the father who is full of compassion and full of grace, yet they have never really understood that. And if you can identify more with the older brother, then maybe you also feel like, I'm doing the right thing, I've always done the right thing, but It's just that lack of joy, and there's just a lot of resentment and anger, especially towards others who don't live the way that I expect them to live. Can I just say, you can also come to your Heavenly Father, and His grace is going to transform your heart from the inside, and He's going to give you that joy, and He's going to take away that anger and make you into a person who is also full of compassion and love for others. So again, I don't know where you find yourself at this morning. We're kind of wrapping it up, and, and um, maybe, like me, you have heard so much about grace, but only now do you get a glimpse that this can actually be a whole new world that can open up for you. I want to invite you to, to join me on that grace journey. It's a good journey, and of course we have said in the beginning that it starts, to best understand grace is to experience it and to Encounter Jesus. Someone invite you to come to Jesus just as you are. Don't clean up first. He is running towards you. That's good news. And then we have said that grace is what saves us. And that's good news. It's not of ourselves. That's good news for those who've been striving all their life, trying to, to attain something that they cannot possibly attain. Maybe living in fear, living in uncertainty, and living a very joyless life. He's already done it. All you have to come is just as you are. That's good news. And of course, we've also said that God's grace also wants to transform our lives here and now. And for many of us, the antidote is grace. And so whether we identify more with the older brother or the younger brother, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we come to our Heavenly Father and we know that He is running towards us. And as the band is coming up, we're going to finish off our time with singing a song called Jaira. Jaira means the Lord will provide. And as we have heard already this morning, God has provided for each one of us all that we need eternally, but also in this life. God is so good. He is enough for each one of us. So um, as you hear the song, as you sing along, just be reminded how good he is. He is a good, good father who is waiting for you. Actually, he's not just waiting for you. He's running towards you. Let's go to God in prayer. Yeah, Heavenly Father, Jaira, we celebrate who you are. Celebrate your amazing grace. Grace that surpassing, surpassing riches of your grace. We are amazed. We are astounded, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. That is a gift to each one of us. Father, I want to pray for the person listening online or, or here today who says, I want to understand this grace more. Would you just show them that through Jesus they can, they can know this grace, they can experience this grace, this gift of grace. And Father, I thank you that your grace is what saves us, not our own doing, not our own striving, but your grace, your gift of grace. We do not deserve it. We've never earned it, but you give it to us. We are so thankful. And Father, I want to pray especially for those listening to this message who have lived in fear, in uncertainty, in in just joylessness. Father, I pray that their eyes would be open to what you truly offer them through Jesus. And Lord, I pray to for all of us, for, for this life, for this life today, tomorrow, as we wrestle with real things in this life, Lord, may we understand that the antidote to a lot of the things that we're struggling with is grace, your grace that you lavish upon us. You are a good, good father, and we are so grateful to be your children. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.